Welcome to the Budget-Minded Traveler Podcast, your source for the tips and tactics that will inspire and equip you to travel the world. And the best part? It won't break your bank. And now, the Budget-Minded Traveler herself and your host, Jackie LaLainen. Hey, everybody. What's up? Welcome to episode 38 of the Budget-Minded Traveler Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Today's episode is actually about study abroad in kind of a think outside the box sense. I talk about study abroad a lot because I've done it three times, uh, twice with a traditional study abroad program, which in my mind entails going through, you know, my university or a university for a structured program that's either semester or year long. Um, And I did two years in Costa Rica and Italy doing that. And then I also went abroad to Brazil, which was through kind of an independent program that offers classes in Portuguese. Well, actually they do lots of, that particular school does plenty of languages once you're down in Brazil. But I went there to study Portuguese and they set me up with a host family, etc. So it was still pretty structured. But what we're going to get into today with our guest, Haley Swinson, who happens to be a fellow travel blogger over at SavvyGirlTravel.com is kind of doing it yourself. So Haley's going to tell her story about how she decided she wanted to do her master's overseas. And rather than going the traditional route of going through a regular study abroad program, like what I just mentioned, she decided just to enroll straight up at a university in Scotland. So she's going to tell that story and share some advice with us about what you should be thinking about if this is on your radar and what you can expect and some things to kind of just keep in mind when you're going to be doing this. So let's go ahead and get into it with Haley. Hey, Haley Swinson, what's going on? Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Jackie. So (laughs) this is going to be a funny question. Where are you right now? Uh, I'm in Bozeman, actually, in uh, Montana, uh, <laughs> in your house. Yeah, that's right. It's it's not often that I actually get to do in-house interviews. So I just thought that would be a fun little fact. But it's so random, too, that you are here in Bozeman right now because you and I met in Greece yeah. last October and come to find out that you spend every winter or how, how no, often do you come? This is the first time, actually. Um, yeah, I'm... I'm pretty lucky in that my parents have a, a mountain house out here. So I've just finished my master's degree in Edinburgh and I'm kind of like, I don't know what to do next. You know, I'm, I'm working on this um, travel website and, uh, you know, just thought it would be a good place to spend a couple of months distraction free um, for the most part. And And actually, it's kind of funny. Uh, my parents ask if I've met anyone out here. I'm like, well, I do have one friend <laughs> meet out here. We met in Athens. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty funny. <laughs> it's yeah. so ironic, I think, to me, but super cool, too. So, yeah, thanks again for agreeing to share your story. Where are you actually from originally? Um, I'm from South Carolina, from Columbia, which is the capital. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, you may have heard of it because there's um, Fort Jackson is there. It's, I think it's one of the largest training bases. So we actually do get a lot of people um, from outside of the state coming in and out. It seems like everybody has some kind of connection to Columbia. And so you did you go to college stateside? I did. Yeah, I Your went undergrad. to um, yeah. University of Richmond in Virginia. Okay. which to me was, 
going as far away from home as possible, a whole six hours north. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Was that far enough, Haley? (laughs) Gosh, I don't think so. (laughs) So what was it that made you decide to study overseas? Because that's what you're here to talk about today. Like, what did you study in undergrad and, and where did this idea come from? Well, um, my undergraduate studies was actually in French studies. Um, that's I just was good at French in, in high school. I've been taking it for a while, and that's what I was really passionate about. And through that, I studied abroad, actually in Paris, which was kind of a, a last-minute decision uh, on my part. I was actually looking at some more exotic places, um, thinking about Senegal for a while. Oh, wow. Um, that's very exotic and different and unique yeah no but there were some there were some students who had gone to Senegal and had um, given presentations about it It was really interesting of course that was before there was so much unrest in Mali which is uh, one of the neighboring countries of Senegal I believe Um, and uh, anyway so that that didn't happen because I would have had to sort of design my own program and I realized at the last minute all my friends were going abroad and I really wanted to go that semester instead of the following semester. So I ended up um, going to Paris instead because there were a lot more programs that went there. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm really glad that I did because that was the first time I'd ever lived in a big city. Um, Columbia, not a big city. Richmond, not really a big city. Mm-hmm. Um, and Paris was just, you know, my first time really learning how to navigate um, public transportation and having, you know, all of these sort of cultural things going on all around me. Um, and so that was that was really eye opening. And um, did you learn French? Oh yeah, well that was my degree was French. Right. Stuff, so so are so you fluent in French? Sorry, are you fluent I in fluent French? In, in French. Um, I, yes, <laughs> but it's been a while since I practiced. Yeah. I did manage to get, um, a few weeks in France, um, while I was abroad this past year, um, living in Edinburgh, I, I managed to swing it so that I wasn't paying rent in Edinburgh for a couple of months mm-hmm. and, and then thought, okay, well I'll put that money towards paying rent in another country Yeah, of course. on, um, my dissertation at the time. So um, that was an interesting experience, too. I hadn't spoken French um, consistently for a couple of years. I did live for a year in Montreal, in Quebec. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if I told you that. I don't so, know if I knew that. Um, my French had gotten a lot better and more consistent there, but it, I, my accent was also completely different. Um, yeah, so when I came back from Paris, I had this Parisian French accent mm-hmm. and and then when I came back from Montreal I had this very <laughs> Quebecois kind of accent which actually I sort of prefer it's a little more laid back and kind of just fun to pronounce um but then I went back to France and they're all like who are you and why are you talking this way <laughs> yes yep you kind of get that accent from everywhere almost once like if it's not your original uh, you know, mother tongue and you've learned right. it and you learn it, you pick up all the, you pick up so many things from dialects from, you know, everywhere. Absolutely. I get that. I mean, I have that in Spanish. So I yeah, can what, um, what kind of Spanish did you learn? Uh, uh, Costa Rican, actually. Okay. Latin American well, Spanish. Yeah. Which I mean, even within Costa Rica, there are 
it's so regional. It is Mm -hmm. so regional. And so, I mean, I learned this Costa Rican Spanish and you can go, you know, one country away and a word means something completely different, you know? And so, but the accent's very different. I mean, most people would say that the Spanish accent has a lisp, you know, a lisp, Barcelona, you know, like we don't have that in the Latin American Spanish, which I prefer. (laughs) So I guess it's good to get that ear for it. You know, when you live in different places and you can, you can understand it and speak it and it, and it was it was interesting because um, my professors in undergrad were from all over. One of my professors was from um, I want to say the Congo, but he had um, a, an African French accent. Mm-hmm. So his his dialect was completely different. And and then yeah. you're getting taught from you know people who are from all over the world and have all these different dialects. Mm-hmm. And then and then you go and you live in one of these francophone countries, and it's just like. I don't even, you know, I don't, I don't actually know what, what people, how people talk here. Yeah. Or what I'm supposed to sound like or, yeah. Exactly. So Um, is that kind of what gave you the inspiration to take your master's overseas? Right. Yeah. So I never got back to that original question. (laughs) (laughs) That's on a bit of a tangent. Sorry about that. Um, Yes. uh, Yes and no. So after I finished undergrad, I didn't really know what to do with my French degree. So that was when I moved to Montreal and just worked a bunch of kind of odd jobs. Um, And I stayed there. I actually, now this is kind of funny. I moved to Montreal intending to make it a permanent move. And for those of you who are interested in Canadian citizenship, it's not that hard to obtain. Really? (laughs) Um, So I went there and uh, was really enthusiastic about making this my permanent home. And then it just didn't work out that way for one reason or another. And I ended up coming back. Um, and I, I think part of it was because I was 22 at the time. So mm-hmm. it was just kind of like a really tumultuous time in, in your life. You know, you don't really know what you want. You think right. you do. But so anyway, I ended up coming back um, a year later and got into the film industry in costuming. Um, okay. So... That was another thing because I had um, been doing my French degree, which I already had a good number of credits towards from high school. I was able to pursue some other um, elective classes, and part of that was uh, costuming. So I moved to North Carolina to uh, work in film, and that lasted for about a year and a half. I wasn't really enjoying my job so much and realized that it was basically 14 hours of standing around staring at a monitor, which is not really fun. Difficult to enjoy. <laughs> um, so so um, now you do it. You're just a writer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know you're right about that. God. Sorry. Bad uh, joke. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, <laughs> that's, that's actually really funny. <laughs> no, no. So, um, I realized, you know, this really isn't the industry for me. I don't really want to be where I see all of my superiors going, you know, and their, their kind of lives that they're leading. So the thing that's always been big in my life um, has been creative writing. Like since I was a little kid, um, creative writing's always been a big part of my life. So I had heard about this program in Edinburgh from a friend of a friend 
um, a couple years before, and I actually had applied to it for the the fall prior to the one that I actually attended, but um, I had deferred. So I emailed them. <laughs> I came home from my first day of work on Under the Dome and sent them an email and said, "Can I accept? You know, my deferral. Can I? Can I?" come to school this year since I deferred last year and Mm -hmm. I got an email back I think it took them like a week and a half to respond to me which is kind of how things work in Edinburgh (laughs) so that's a slow response yeah yeah. okay Mm -hmm. uh pretty slow I mean it just it seems slow to me okay Um, yeah and they said absolutely you know you're you're welcome to come this this year so that was in I want to say it was like May when I wow. emailed them, <laughs> and, um, maybe it was before that. It may have been March or April. And um, so then just a few months later, I was on a plane. So in August, I was yeah. on a plane to go live and uh, study in Edinburgh. And I'd never even been there before. But that's kind of how I do things. Yeah. I, I just kind of pick a place sometimes. <laughs> that's what happened with Montreal. I, I wanted to go somewhere that was French speaking so I could practice French. It was nice that it was in the same time zone um, as my hometown. And um, I'd never been there, so I just kind of packed up and left. And uh, that's what I did with Edinburgh. And part of the reason why I chose Edinburgh, besides the fact that they were uh, willing to accept me um, mm-hmm. after having deferred, um, is that I'm really interested in travel writing as well. And I mm-hmm. thought, Edinburgh would be a good place um, to sort of have as a home base and travel out from to, to write about uh, your other European countries and and more interesting places than right. You know, so, so let's talk about the process of you basically getting accepted and that application because you sound you made it sound really simple and maybe it was, but did you just? I mean, you heard about this program through someone and. Did you just go online and just apply for it? And that was, I mean, did, did it cost anything to apply? Actually, um, it didn't. Um, see, the school system in in Scotland for Scottish citizens um, is free for four years. And I assume that probably ha- it has the impact on, on how much it costs to apply, which is nothing. Okay. It's free to apply, at least to University of Edinburgh. I, I that's the only school I applied to in the UK, so I'm not sure about other schools, but I would assume just going off of what I know of the Scottish school system, probably Scottish schools don't charge um, the application fees, which is really nice because application fees can get really expensive. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, people spend incredible amounts just applying for schools and even like going around and visiting them. And I mean, no, you're not going to really do that with Scotland before you just make the move over there. But um, what about, so once you got accepted, then how did you, did they help you at all with, I mean, like your, you have, did you get a visa? Did you get a student visa? What were the, what, um, what happened there? I'm trying to think back. I did have to get a student visa. It's, um, it's called a tier four visa, I believe. And did and they help you with that? Or did they say, this is what you need? Or did you, because you were kind of on your own. I mean, you applied to this school. You weren't applying to a study abroad program. And so right. you were solo in this. Did they basically expect that you would take care of this stuff? 
and you know, I, I hate to say it, I don't really remember. Mm. <laughs> I, since I had gone through the visa process before, first with France and then with Canada, um, I don't remember it being that big of a deal. Oh, okay. actually, now I do remember. No, no, I had to go through all of that on my own. And I didn't really realize how long it can take for a visa to come in. Um, so I ended up, because you have to, in some instances, drive to another city. Yeah. Um, and actually, I was listening to this on one of your other podcasts. You were talking about visas. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the Brazil uh, visa or something. Anyway, yeah. um, and so I sort of waited longer than I should have to apply for the visa. Okay. Um, and the other thing, oh, what happened to me with France, my passport was about to expire and I didn't realize it. So it was oh, going to no. expire before I finished my study abroad there. So I actually had to apply to renew my passport before I applied for the visa. So that was just an even more complicated process. And ultimately, I, I believe with the Edinburgh visa, I had to, I don't think I expedited the service, but I did send them an overnight return envelope because yeah. I had to mail it to New York, I believe. Okay. Uh, once I had gone through these other steps where I had to drive to, I think I drove to Raleigh in North Carolina because I was living in Wilmington at the time. And yeah. I had to get, I had to get my fingerprints taken and um, all this stuff. And then from there, had to send it off to New York. And I was under the impression originally that I was going to get my visa in Raleigh. Um, so that's why I had to send them the overnight envelope. And I, I got my visa, I think, something like four or five days before I got on the plane. Oh, that is so scary. <laughs> it was very nerve-wracking. So just for any of you guys listening who are completely lost about this process right now, when you get a visa, you do have to... Um, you're in a jurisdiction is basically what we're talking about. So like, for example, <laughs> I think that Mont this is ridiculous, but I think that the entire state of Montana, our jurisdiction can often be like LA or something ridiculous. <laughs> like what you were saying when I went to Brazil, I had to go to San Francisco to get it. I once had to go to Vegas um, and it really depends on where you're living and where the consulate has jurisdiction. And so that's why you would have to go somewhere to fill out the paperwork, meet with the consulate, whatever it is that you have to do. And then you also have the option of sending them, um, you have to pay for the postage back. And so you can send, an, that's what she's saying, you can send an overnight envelope for them that you've paid for, for them to put your stuff in and get back to you like as soon as possible. So it's probably a good deal that you did that. <laughs> that yeah. was worth it. Huh? Yeah, it was. I mean, and that was a lot cheaper because when I got my French visa, we had to pay the ex expedition expedition we had to expedite the the um process which was something like a hundred dollars more where i was just buying the overnight envelope oh right probably cost me like 20 bucks but was still you know still an expense i didn't have to i shouldn't have had to think about if i had planned ahead better right um, so do you remember how much it cost for the visa uh I hate to say I don't. Yeah, they're all different. I don't know. I don't really remember mine either. So, The Canadian um, visa, I think, was the cheapest one, though. And it was kind of funny because, um, the, okay, so my first visa from France, it's got, you know, this really cool sort of holograph thing that goes into the passport. And it looks really neat. Yeah. And then when I got my Canadian visa, they um, 
they stapled a piece of paper to my to my passport <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it just like folded out. Oh, it was, it was really ghetto looking. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> um, but the UK visa was, you know, the cool stamp and everything again. But maybe that's why the Canadian visa didn't cost as much. I also got it at the border. So I went with all my credentials and. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to con- uh, continue on like past the visa. So once you had that taken care of. And you were ready to go. So did you know it was going to be... Well, obviously you did. It was only going to be one year, right? Is that right? Right. Yes. So that was another reason why I chose to go to Edinburgh. um, Because most... Sorry, my program was in creative writing. I don't think I mentioned that before. Um, And most creative writing degrees in the U.S. are MFAs, Masters of Fine Arts. And they're usually between two and three years. And sometimes longer than that. Wow. And they can be just as expensive as undergraduate um, degrees sometimes, depending on where you go and what kind of scholarships you get, et cetera, et cetera. So with Edinburgh being only one year, that was that was another plus because I wasn't, you know, this was something that I, I had been doing for most of my life, but wasn't 100% sure I could make a career out of. Yeah. Um, so I kind of wanted to dip my toes into it and um, and not commit to to uh three year three years of more school which um (laughs) ironically I'm now kind of committing to another two or three years of school hopefully this fall I've just sent in more applications but I will say another thing about attending school abroad that's not study abroad Mm -hmm. if you are applying to more school after that you have to get your transcripts assessed by a third party, which I had to do in order to apply to more school for next fall. And it costs mm. between like 180 to $300 to get that done. Oh, wow. And I do not anticipate that cost at all. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's something to keep in mind for sure. That's interesting. So did you have a chance for scholarships going overseas? I mean, was there anything that you could have done for that? I hate to say it, but there really aren't that many scholarship opportunities for, especially for international students. There are a lot for EU students for okay. um, mm-hmm. Edinburgh. Um, and they have, I think they had one scholarship that was given in retrospect. So at the end of the year um, to one student in among our group. Oh, uh, but and you didn't get it. <laughs> No, no, I mean, dang it! I was I was not that one overachiever. Oh, bummer. <laughs> um, because that can. How much was it? I mean, it schools was, vary so much, but well, it was about thirteen thousand dollars. Dollars. Okay. Which was still for the whole year. Yeah, for the whole year of schooling, which is still not, um, which is still not you know, 40,000 a year, which a lot of private universities here charge, but it's still not, you know, it's a good chunk of change as well. Yeah, definitely. But it doesn't seem, I mean, that surprises me, honestly, because so many universities stateside are just ridiculously expensive. Absolutely. And that's it. I mean, that's the other thing I was saying before Scottish schools are free for Scottish students mm -hmm. and, and they have a much different system over there than we do here. Um, and that, that said, I think I went into that school system expecting, um, 
expecting more of what I experienced in undergraduate. And it was not, <laughs> not like that at all. Because they put, I don't really know, I don't know everything about the system, obviously, but I, I'm kind of making some educated guesses here based on what I've experienced there and what I've heard, you know. Um, but it seems as if they put a lot more pressure on the professors um, to do a lot more different things. They're not as focused. So my, my creative writing professors were also teaching undergraduates and they're also teaching literature classes mm -hmm. and they're also, um, you know, personal tutors for students. And, and so they have, they're wearing all of these different hats and mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like they're being paid enough and they're, they're not being paid nearly as much as professors get paid over here. Mm -hmm. And we still hear, you know, complaints from our professors here saying that they're not getting paid enough. And so it's harder to get the same level of attention from a professor, um, at least at, at a university as large as University of Edinburgh, um, mm. and uh, as you would at a small private university that you're paying 40000 a year to attend. Um, right. So that's, I mean, that's another thing you kind of have to think about is if you're considering going abroad for a degree, well, what, what are your priorities? And for me, one of my priorities was to be in a foreign city. And yep. that was, that sort of outweighed some of the, the, the potential <laughs> negatives, I guess. Yeah, no kidding. I would have been like, I don't really care what you're teaching. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll take it. Just get me there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But that's, that's actually a really good piece of advice, I think, to make sure that you know what the school system is going to be like, that you're not going to be expecting that attention if you're not going to get it. I think that's really important right. um, to, to weigh if you're considering studying overseas just in a traditional program like what you did. I just think it's so cool that you did it like on your own, you know, just decided to go to Scotland for your master's and, <laughs> you know, got your visa and just made it work. Where did you live? Did you live in um, student housing or actually believe it or not student housing was pretty expensive <laughs> compared to you know just finding a place on my own so I, I ended up in a flat share with three other students mm -hmm. um were they all Scottish I had found well let's see two were Scottish and one was English okay um which was also nice because you know they were students who weren't in my program and they actually only one of them was even going to University of Edinburgh. The other one was at a different university. And then the third, I think he had just finished or was finishing. Um, so I kind of got more um, <laughs> diversity in a way um, and got to to have a different group outside of my very small program group. Right. Um, it's nice. Um, Which is important when you're in a foreign country because you need to experience as much as you can. And especially to have kind of built-in friends. I mean, hopefully you got along with these people. And it, that's yeah. really helpful when you travel somewhere by yourself. It's it, it can be hard to make friends. I mean, at least people spoke English there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's debatable. But <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's funny because... Um, you know, my dad likes to tell a story about when he and my mom went on some trip to the UK, you know, before they had kids. And, and he said he was booking everything over the phone and he'd been booking 
the trip through Scotland and, and was having such a hard time understanding them that when he was next speaking to someone from England, he made the mistake of saying, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I'm finally talking to an American again. Jeez. <laughs> and they got so offended. But it, it's, it's true, though. I mean, some some... Scottish people do have very strong accents. Oh, yeah. yeah. But mm-hmm. I have gotten the question from people um, uh, who are considering studying abroad. Uh, will it be difficult to understand my professors? Like, well, these oh. are people who are academics, you know, and, and academics tend to have a certain clarity about their speech, generally speaking. So I don't think I don't think that's something you really need to take into account too much when considering studying abroad in an English-speaking country, despite an accent. That's also a good point. I wouldn't have even thought about that. So was your, you actually received a degree, right? You graduated from this program? Yes. Um, and, and now, strangely enough, my degree in creative writing is a master's in science. <laughs> uh, you mean according to U.S. schools or according to the University of Edinburgh? That's the degree I received from the University of Edinburgh. A so actually the equivalent when I did get my um, transcript uh, evaluated by the third party, the equivalent is master's, master's of arts. Okay. But in um, at the University of Edinburgh, they have an undergraduate program that is um, four years, I think. So so. If I'm thinking correctly, I believe that an undergraduate degree in Scotland is only three years long, but you can opt to take a fourth year and apparently, and and I could be getting this completely wrong, this is my understanding, and apparently they already had a program that was a Master's of Arts that was a four-year program, and so they didn't want to call this program Master's of Arts because it's, you know, technically a higher degree than what that was, so Hmm. I don't know what they're reasoning for choosing masters of science was but it was mostly to differentiate it from that other degree well now you can say you have both (laughs) (laughs) yeah so is that because I was going to ask you basically how is your degree recognized here like you know there are so many I don't know things about being accredited university or whatever Mm -hmm. you know is that an issue or is that where that third party comes in to say Yes, we are establishing, you know, that this is uh, yeah, worthy of whatever, you know. No, that that's exactly it, is that um, if you have a degree from a school outside of the U.S., I would assume probably Canada is in, not included in international, because um, I think our education system is fairly similar to the Canadian one. But um, you have to go through this third party to evaluate it, which was really funny to me because the University of Edinburgh last year got ranked as like the 17th best university in the world wow. <laughs> and yeah and it's something like the fourth oldest in europe universities and then you're going yeah okay i gotta approve that the university <laughs> of edinburgh is accredited and yeah that my degree is legitimate <laughs> it's just it seems a little ridiculous but it's also because the grading system is different so okay so this kind of this kind of blew my mind while i was there um a good grade in in the UK system is a 70 and it's on it's out of 100 but what? for some reason an A is a 70 or above and a B is in the 60s and a C is in the 50s and so when i got my first paper back and it was like 
high 60s, I almost had a heart attack. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, Whoa. And, uh, that seems really strange. It is very strange. And you know, the French do a similar thing because when I was in Paris, I took some classes through the organization I went and then I also was able to take two outside classes at the Sorbonne. Um, and they grade, I think, yeah, it's out of 20, I believe. And then, but it's not, but the percentage doesn't make sense because a 14 out of 20 is a good grade or at least a decent grade from what I recall. Mm-hmm. And, and anything like 11 and above is passing. So <laughs> that doesn't make sense though, percentage wise, because 11, you know, would be a little uh, over 50%. And here that's Huge fail. <laughs> so maybe if people are used to getting not so good grades, they should go to Europe. And they yeah, there you go. <laughs> just, just change that you're not in the right country, I guess. Um, but that, I mean, I think that's the main reason why you have to go through this third party so that mm-hmm. whoever's considering you for admission for your next degree or, or if you're applying for a job that requires a certain GPA, if that even happens anymore, yeah. um, it's so that they can understand the grading scale and right. and, and also the equivalent um, degree that we right. have here. That does make sense. And actually brings up another question. When you were applying, was there any, did you have to have taken any graduate level testing or, you know, doing anything like that? Or did you have to prove your academics to get into the University of Edinburgh? Um, they did ask for my grade point average and I supplied that and I gave them, sent them my transcript, although they accepted just a scanned copy of the transcript, which was interesting. It seems like it was pretty easy. It it was. <laughs> like way easier than applying for an American university, uh, grad school. Yeah, I would say so. And I'm trying to remember, I did take the GRE. Um, I don't think they required the scores though. Um, but it's also a little bit different with creative writing programs, okay? Just because so much of so much of the application is based on your writing sample, okay? Um, a lot of creative writing MFAs here don't require the GRE either, um, just because it's less it's less there is less focus on the grade mm-hmm. and much more so on the quality of the writing. If that makes sense, yeah. Based on the experience that you had, the entire thing from the application, the visa, studying over there, how much it cost you, just everything. Is it something you would recommend that other people try? Yes, with uh, with with some sort of not really stipulations, but with at least the understanding of kind of what your goals are for going and what you are placing the most weight on, like what's most important to you. Um, I think just living abroad for a year, even if you're not going to school, maybe you're volunteering or moving to Canada and working in random places for a year. Um, Having that experience of another culture, um, and believe it or not, the UK is another culture. It is so different. It, It changes you in a way that it's hard to really explain um, and it, it, it makes you appreciate the things that you have at home. And it also helps you to realize what you take for granted. And, you know, maybe some things that other countries do that you'd like to kind of add into your own mm-hmm. life routine, I guess. 
Definitely. Um, just for example, in Edinburgh, they have something like four different kinds of recycling, and they all get picked up. You know, it's all service. So, so we had composting, and you know, um, they recycle all of the the glass and the tin and um, plastic and all these things. I know there are some cities in the U.S. that do that, but it it's they're few and far between. And and especially with the composting, and they mm-hmm. have a service that comes to your house that picks up your compost bin once a week. You know, that's and that's crazy. that's just something that blew my mind. That's so cool. Um, and you get into these little habits, and it, it it's it's really interesting taking bits of different cultures and kind of adding them to your own personal uh lifestyle definitely and and i think it's oh well one of the most interesting things is seeing how other countries view your country um from that country so you know obviously i'm hearing a lot from my scottish and english roommates how their experiences with the u.s are and, and americans and and then also hearing from those british news sources and just seeing how we're portrayed in the media um, yeah. in other countries. Mm-hmm. It's, just an, it's not all bad. It's just, it just gives you a totally different perspective. Yeah. Own country, you know, where you're from and how you grew up versus where other people are from, how they grew up, and how our culture is reflected in other parts of the world. And that's mm-hmm. a perspective you just can't get without... Oh, no. Yeah. Without really living somewhere for a long time outside of your own country. Right. This is a classic. It really is kind of one of the classic lessons of studying abroad, you know, and when you're saying, talking about how seeing how another country portrays the U.S. in the media, I was thinking or doesn't, you know, it's like, yeah we're not the center of the world and no, no people aren't always talking about us. Like it's not all about the USA all the time. You know, people yeah. could care less about what's going on over here. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, you don't hear about the States just as much as, you know, as you would assume that you would hear about it. You don't, it's right. just, there. no one cares. Like it's not an issue. And so definitely like completely removing yourself from that entire environment mm-hmm. is really interesting. And, and yeah, I mean that, that can be a- attained, I guess, by, you know, any kind of study abroad or living overseas, just once Absolutely. you're out for long enough, that's one of the things that you learn and it's yeah. pretty cool. And, and, you know, um, Sorry to keep dragging on here, but um, that's okay. One of, one of the things that uh, that really really struck me in the UK um, is how you know what they place the most importance on in their lives. Um, you know, here we're such a capitalist society, and, and it's all about how how well you can do in work and how how much you can kind of move up the ranks and and how much you can earn. And in the UK, it's a lot more family focused. They t- they're able like my one of my roommates got an internship um, with a law firm right after finishing law school. Which another interesting thing, law school in the UK is actually an alternative to undergraduate. So he was twenty one and just finishing law school. Wow. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, so he got a, an eleven month internship with a law firm and already had twenty vacation days, um, and it's just like that's unheard of here, mm. you know. And 
there's there's so much more emphasis in the UK on taking care of yourself, having that work life family balance, um, and and a much more healthy self image. I mean, you do not see the same kind of photoshopped people in advertisements in the UK, which I didn't really realize mm. how much we at we. Um, photoshop our advertisements here until going to the uk because you see pictures of and, and it's not just i'm not just talking about magazines but like you know bank advertisements grocery store advertisements any pictures of people and here they're all like perfect skin and yep. perfect white teeth and they're all thin and healthy looking and you know all of their hair and in the UK, they just show normal people. You know? <laughs> what? <laughs> no. Yeah. Like, what are those? I don't know what that looks like. Yeah. It, it's so it's so much healthier because then there's none of this kind of fanaticism about mm. I have to go to the gym every day. I have to look perfect. It, there's just a much healthier mindset of, um, oh my favorite my favorite UK term, hill walking. <laughs> Which is, they don't use the word hiking. <laughs> they say hill walking. And it's a little bit of a misnomer because, you know, a friend will say, hey, do you want to, I'm going to go hill walking tomorrow. And you go and you're like hiking up this crazy mountain. And I thought we were hill walking. Yeah. No, so they, they just have this more sort of outdoors and, and healthy uh, attitude about things that doesn't require you to become a gym fanatic to stay mm -hmm. healthy right um which of course you know obesity is also a problem in the uk but it just seems like the mentality is not the same as it is here hmm. in the u.s yeah you know what's in you just made me think of i mean when i was living in brazil um i noticed because you think of brazil you think of a brazilian beach like what comes to your mind beautiful model <laughs> yeah with a thong on right oh uh, yeah and it's funny because everyone does wear thong bathing suits there. Really? Like, yo, yeah, everyone. And what's so great about that is that it there's no like it doesn't matter if the person is overweight or not or, you know, <laughs> not the per, like the p most perfect person on the beach. It doesn't matter. Like okay. everyone and no one is like staring or turning heads or anything. It's just normal. Like it's right. just what they do. And it's like they don't care, you know, and there's such a big thing where we're totally on a tangent right now. I'm realizing. <laughs> but it's great. And it, it's true, though. It's, it's Yeah. It, I mean, it, it just yeah. goes back to saying, um, these are the things that you learn when you live overseas. I mean, exactly. These are the things that you can it, open your eyes to that happen in the world. And yeah. just accepting that other countries go about their lives in a different way than you do. And that's fine. You know, mm -hmm. it, it kind of makes you realize that there's more than one acceptable way to live your life. Definitely. That's a really good way to put it. I love that. Well, this has been great. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you just kind of introduced another, you know, it's kind of like an out of the box way, even though it seems like it would be really logical. But I don't think that as American citizens, our mind goes there that like you can just just straight up apply for another university in another country. And I love that yeah. you did that and like that we were able to kind of introduce that today because um, especially 
especially at a graduate level, I know there are a lot of people who just aren't in their 20s who are looking at doing, you know, grad school or more schooling or something, you know, they go back to school. And this is another awesome way for you to get overseas. If you're considering studying something, you know, take it, take it overseas, you can do it yourself, you don't have to do a study abroad program. And, and even then, you might not have to get it accredited, which is that extra cost at the end, you know, I mean, Right. I think it's great. So well, thank you so much for sharing with us. Absolutely. And and one one last uh, little note here is um, I will say, though, before you apply uh, for a school overseas, like I was saying before, determine what your, your goals are. Mm-hmm. Um, and if one of your goals is to come back to the U.S., you kind of have to weigh – you know, are you trying to get into a certain industry here? Because what I found with um, with my degree, my visa expired, obviously, at the end of my year there. And all of my connections that I'd made in the writing and, and literary world were all in the UK. Right. So now it's kind of like starting over, which is why I'm considering another degree um, in the U.S., which will hopefully be paid for. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, you know, if you're trying to go somewhere and live there permanently, um, it's, you know, it's a good, obviously you're going to be making your connections there, but you also have to consider some of the drawbacks, like how difficult it is to get um, a long-term visa in the UK. Um, actually, if that's a track you want to take, it's a lot easier to get one if you have a PhD than just a master's, but that's obviously more schooling. Ugh. Um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I won't keep you any longer, but just wanted to add that little note. on. Yeah, the- no, that's a really good point. Um, obviously spoken from experience. So listen <laughs> to Haley, people. <laughs> so one last thing I just wanted to, we didn't talk about this at all, but I know that you also run a travel website, a travel blog, travel yes. magazine, and uh and I know that that's where people can find you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Um, sure. Well, so the the magazine is called Savvy Girl Travel. Um, it's a it's sort of a, a blog magazine uh, type website. It does have multiple writers, which is why I tend to call it more of a magazine because it's not just focused on me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's specifically geared towards um, female travelers, um, especially. Uh, long-term travelers, expats. Um, a lot of the writers are actually from my program. Um, oh, cool. So that's kind of how I got it started. I actually um, started it last September, so September 2014, and basically coerced all of my friends from the program <laughs> to write for me. That's great, though. At least you know you have quality people if they were exactly. all getting their master's in creative writing. Exactly. No, and right now I've got two girls who are writing um, monthly for me. So I've got a number of writers who are just kind of contributing here and there. And Mm -hmm. um, two of them, one is Canadian, uh, who lives in Vancouver. And then another one is um, Spanish, who lives in Madrid. And then I'm in Montana, so I'm kind of in somewhere in the middle. But anyway, so we've got a wide range of... um, of uh articles uh, on there so it's it's savvygirltravel.com okay um you can find me there <laughs> awesome we will i want to put links to your stuff and social media and that website on the show notes page so people can find you if they want to say hi or follow you because you have 
stories and pictures and Absolutely. everything from all over the world. So, yeah. And if, I mean, if anybody wants to ask specific questions about University of Edinburgh or the pro, the creative writing program or, um, mm. you know, just studying, getting a degree abroad, not just studying abroad, um, feel free to send me an email. Uh, all my contact information is on savvygirltravel.com. Um, okay. And, uh, yeah, I'd be perfectly willing to, to help in any way that I can. So That's so awesome. Thank you so much for that. Well, yeah, this has been great. And I really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much. And we will talk yeah. to you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jackie. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Haley Swinson. And hopefully you got some ideas around kind of forming your own study abroad experience, if that is something that appeals to you. And just to reiterate Haley's advice, you know, just make sure you know what your goals are going in going into it. I think that's the best piece of advice she could have given, really, because if the point is to get overseas and study at the same time, it's kind of perfect because it could save you a lot of money. But you don't come with automatic friends like you can with a traditional study abroad program. I mean, there are definitely things that that you need to weigh there. So make sure you know what your goals are, what's most important to you. And thank you again to Haley for sharing all of that with us. And so there is a show notes page for this episode, as always, at thebudgetmindedtraveler.com slash 38. And I am going to include a link there to my resource page on my website that covers passports and visas. It's very helpful. It's full of any link that you could possibly need to find out what you would need for visas. uh, You can find through that page. And so I'm just going to put that there for convenience. It's one of those pages that I myself check all the time because those websites can be really difficult to navigate. So just check out that page on my website. You can actually get there by going to thebudgetmindedtraveler.com slash passports as well. So if that's helpful to you, then that's great. That's there for you to use. And definitely take advantage of, if, I mean, if you have any questions for Haley, she's probably going to be active in the comments and you can email her. We're going to have her contact information and social media, etc., on the show notes page as well. So I hope you guys enjoyed this interview. That's it for now. And uh, we'll see you in the next one. Thanks a lot. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. After the holidays, a little cash goes a long way. The Chime checking account has tons of benefits to help, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and thousands of fee-free ATMs. You can even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. Sign up for Chime today at chime.com slash goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer.